Galatians 2.1 for our message from the Word of God this morning. And while you're turning to Galatians 2 and verse 1, I'd like to begin with the story of a man who walked into a store that sold prosthetic artificial limbs one day, and he ordered a false arm, a false elbow, and a false wrist. And the clerk looked at him and said, said, turn on the microphone. Well, I turned it on the first time he introduced me. <laughs> Did it turn green? No. No. You had to let go. Oh, there we go. We got it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> now, to refresh your memory... The man in the artificial limb store ordered a false arm, a false elbow, and a false wrist. And the clerk looked at him and said, Would you like a hand with that? <laughs> well, if you know the title of our message this morning, then you know we're not here to talk about false members of your physical body. We are here to talk about false members of the body of Christ and what our battle plan should be when it comes to warring with false members of the body of Christ. And when it comes to our spiritual warfare, we find our pattern in the man who is our pattern in all things, the Apostle Paul. And here in Galatians 2, Paul is about to tell us about the battle he fought with false brethren at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Now, if you're not familiar with that council, don't panic. We're going to get into the details of the Jerusalem Council as we go along. But for now, the story begins in Galatians 2 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul says these words. Then, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Now we have to begin by asking, of course, 14 years after what? <laughs> And the answer to that question is 14 years after the Apostle Paul got saved. If you know this epistle to the Galatians, you know that 
back in Galatians chapter 1, Paul talked about what a low-down, rotten sinner he was, but how God saved him and sent him to preach to the Gentiles. So here in chapter 2, we know that Paul's been saved and preaching to the Gentiles for 14 years. But Paul preached Christ to the Gentiles in a way that Christ had never been preached to the Gentiles before. He preached that they could be saved without having to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. And once he started preaching that, it didn't take long for some false brethren to take him to task about that and pick a fight with him. As we see in your first reference on your handout sheet in Acts 15, verses 1 to 5. There the Apostle Luke who wrote the book of Acts, tells us, Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. What question? Well, as it goes on to say, the question of whether it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, in that second line there, when it says certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, that's talking about the Gentiles that Paul had led to the Lord. And the certain men which came down from Judea, <laughs> it's easy for me to say, from Judea that it mentions there, were Jews, of course. That's where Jews lived, in Judea. And listen, Jews believed that the only way that Gentiles could be saved was the way they got saved, by being circumcised and keeping the law. And these Jews here, they weren't shy about telling these new Gentile believers that they couldn't be saved the way that Paul had told them they could be saved. So as you just read there in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. In other words, they had a great big disputation with those guys. I mean, if you tried to undermine the faith of Paul's converts, you were walking on the fighting side of the Apostle Paul. As 
Merle Haggard once said. I'm gonna give me a smile if you remember Merle Haggard. <laughs> you guys just aren't carnal enough. <laughs> so the first thing we learn from Paul about battling false brethren is to go at it tooth and nail with no holds barred, with no small dissension and disputation like Paul did. But as you see there in Acts 15, disputing didn't get him anywhere that time. So it says that those certain men, those Jews from Judea, sent Paul to Jerusalem to ask the 12 apostles to meet in a council meeting at Jerusalem to discuss this matter. And that is the trip to Jerusalem that we're reading about here in Galatians 2 and verse 1. But now, here we have to ask why Paul would knuckle under to those false brethren and agree to go with them to Jerusalem. Why didn't he just say, nuts to you guys, the Lord Jesus Christ himself told me what to preach to the Gentiles. So you guys can go take a hike and fly a kite. Why did he agree instead to go with them? to ask the 12 apostles if his new message of grace without the law was correct. And the answer is, Paul did not go to Jerusalem because those unsaved Jews sent him. He went there because the Lord sent him to Jerusalem. Now, I know it doesn't say that in that lengthy passage from Acts 15 that we just read, but it does here in our text, in the very next verse, back in your Bible now, in Galatians 2 and verse 2. Paul says, And I went up to Jerusalem by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, when Paul says he went to Jerusalem by revelation, you know what a revelation is, right? A revelation is the noun form of the verb to reveal. So Paul is telling us here that the Lord revealed himself to Paul and told him that he wanted Paul to go to Jerusalem to communicate with the 12 apostles the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. But here's the thing about that. If Paul had to tell the 12 what he preached, that means he didn't get his message from the 12, right? And it means he didn't preach the same message as the 12 apostles like so many pastors say today. 
I mean, think about it for a second. The Bible never says that Joshua in the Old Testament had to communicate to Moses what he preached because he preached the law just like Moses did, right? But the Apostle Paul had to communicate what he preached to the Gentiles, to the Twelve, because he didn't preach what they preached. He preached salvation by grace, through faith, without the law, and without circumcision. And the Twelve Apostles, they were still preaching circumcision and the law, just like the Lord taught them to believe. And you see that in Matthew 23, verses 1 to 3. There it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, in that context, that's the twelve apostles, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. The Lord told the twelve to observe what the Pharisees said, because they sat in Moses' seat, teaching Moses' law. That means the twelve apostles... They were not like us, under grace, not law. They were still under the law during the time the Lord was there with the twelve apostles. And according to the law of Moses, Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. So, that's what the Lord told the twelve apostles to teach to the Gentiles in your next reference a few chapters later in Matthew, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, nations of the Gentiles. Well, Lord, what do you want, Lord, what do you want us to teach them? Teaching them to, oh, there's that word again, observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, hadn't he just told them to observe what the Pharisees said because they sat in, Mo in Moses' seat, teaching the law of Moses? So the law of Moses is what the Lord told the twelve apostles to tell the Gentiles to tell them how to get saved. But now, here we have to ask, why would God bother to send Paul to the twelve apostles to tell them what he preached to the Gentiles? And we're going to talk more about that uh, tomorrow. There's the commercial. You have to come back tomorrow now. But as we're going to see tomorrow, it was to get their approval of his new message of grace. You see, during that time of transition, the twelve apostles were still God's representatives on earth. 
And God has such respect for authority that he insisted Paul go to get their approval and their authorization on his new message. That means, up in verse 2 in our text here in Galatians 2, that the 12 apostles were the ones who were of reputation. The ones that Paul spoke to, it says, privately. The reason he did that is because he knew they were still preaching circumcision and the law. And he was smart enough to know that confronting them publicly in front of the entire Jerusalem council just wasn't the way to go. Think it through for a second. If you went to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, and you tried to convince them that water baptism was no longer a part of God's program, you wouldn't storm the stage, grab the microphone away from the president of the convention and start preaching grace. You wouldn't do that, would you? And as fun as that sounds, <laughs> you wouldn't do it because you know it would be disrespectful to the president and it would just embarrass him and all the rest of the elders and leaders of the, con uh, of the well, I'm sorry, uh, of the convention, of the Southern Baptist Convention, right? And listen, all of those men are dear, sincere pastors and leaders who just don't know what you know. You know that God has made a dispensational change from salvation by water baptism to salvation without water baptism. And you know that embarrassing them would only make them less likely to accept this dispensational change. Well, at the Jerusalem Council, the 12 apostles didn't know that God had made a dispensational change either. From salvation by the law of Moses to salvation without the law of Moses. They still sincerely thought that Jews and Gentiles could only be saved by circumcision and the law. Well, we know that Paul's graciousness, his gracious tactic, must have worked here. Because look what James said when he rendered the decision of the council in your next reference in Acts 15 and verse 19. He said, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And he meant, my decision is that we don't trouble these new Gentile believers to have to keep the law. That means that the 12 apostles accepted Paul's 
new message of grace. And I can't prove it, but I bet Barnabas had a, had a hand in, in warming the apostles up to Paul's new message. Because, remember, when Paul first got saved, it says in your next reference, in Acts 9, 26, and 27, Saul essayed to join himself to the disciples, to the twelve. They were all afraid of him. He'd been murdering believers. And they believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, on the way to Damascus, and how the Lord had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus when he got there. So, as you can see, Barnabas had a history of, of smoothing things over between Paul and the twelve apostles, right? So I think that's the reason Paul brought Barnabas to Jerusalem to this council meeting. Because he knew that he would be able to help him win his way into the hearts of the 12 apostles. But I can tell you this, it would not have mattered who was there to smooth things over. If Paul had stormed the stage and grabbed the microphone, they wouldn't have listened to him. And so, as it says in verse 2 back in your Bible now, he would have run in vain. And that means that all the people that Paul had led to the Lord without circumcision in the law would have started to wonder, am I really saved, like Paul said? And God wanted them to know that they were saved without the law. But any hope of that would out the window if Paul had stormed the stage, and if the twelve had refused to recognize his new message. If you're a new believer, and some leaders are saying one thing, and some other leaders are saying the opposite thing, it's hard for new believers to know what's right, right? And Paul, he, he made sure that that didn't happen by being very gracious. But there in verse 2, Paul wasn't just worried about the people that he'd already led to the Lord. He didn't want his future converts to wonder if they were saved either. So as it says in verse 2 there, he spoke to the twelve privately, lest he should run in vain in the future. And whether you know it or not, you're one of Paul's future converts. Everybody who's been saved since the Apostle Paul has been saved by grace, through faith, by Paul's gospel of salvation without the law. Amen. That means 
If Paul had stormed the stage that day and the twelve refused to recognize his new message of grace, you couldn't be saved today. Couldn't be, couldn't be sure you're saved today. Uh, because without that authorization from the twelve, you'd be like the saints back then. Am I really saved? One leader saying one thing and one is saying another. And all of that reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw many years ago that said, if you can read this, thank a teacher. How many of you remember seeing that? Later on, somebody came up with the idea of expanding on that bumper sticker, and they came out with one that said, and if you can read this in English, and not Japanese or German, thank a veteran. Well, folks, if you know you're saved without circumcision in the law, thank the Apostle Paul. Thank him for being smart enough to share the grace message graciously. And then you go out and do the same thing. Maybe someday somebody will be thanking you. Just don't be like all of the grace believers that I've seen over the years who are rude and insulting to people who don't know what they know because they're just so smart. Don't be like those people because you could say their name is Legion because they are many. Well... As you can see here, Paul has kind of drifted into the subject of how to battle our brethren in the Lord. And that's something we're going to talk more about in tomorrow's message. But as we get back here to how to battle false brethren, we see in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 2 that Paul says, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Well, now here we see why Paul brought Titus to the meeting. It was so Paul could walk away from the Jerusalem council with living proof that the twelve apostles had recognized his new message of salvation without the law. Now, if you're not sure how that would work, imagine for a moment that the law of Moses said that Gentiles like us had to be tattooed to be saved. <laughs> and then God gave Paul a new message saying they didn't have to be tattooed to be saved. And then imagine Paul brought you to the Jerusalem Council, and you left without a tattoo, you would be living proof that the council decided you didn't have to be tattooed to be saved, right? Now, if you know your Bible really well, you might be thinking, well, why would anybody need living proof? Didn't the twelve write letters to the Gentiles 
telling them the decision of the Jerusalem Council? And the answer is, yes, they did. And you see that in Acts 15, verses 22 to 24. The apostles wrote letters to the Gentiles. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. He said they might have claimed they came from us with our authority, but they did not. So yes, the council did write letters to the Gentiles explaining they could be assured they were saved without the law. But here's the thing about that. Letters, they can be forged. We know that somebody forged a letter to the Thessalonians and signed Paul's name to it, telling the Thessalonians that they were in the tribulation. So Paul wrote them a letter in your next reference in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2 saying, Be not troubled by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, the day of the Lord. Well, to get to the point, if somebody could forge a letter from Paul, somebody could just as easily forge a letter from the 12 apostles, right? But you can't forge a man. You can't forge an uncircumcised man. And that's the reason Paul brought a really tough man to this council meeting. Look what your next reference in 2 Corinthians 7, 14 and 15 says about Titus. It says, Titus, with fear and trembling you received him. Titus was one tough dude, folks. He was one mean hombre. He was so tough. I hear he had a bearskin rug, and the bear wasn't even dead yet. He was just afraid to move. That's how tough Titus was. That means that, that Paul picked the right man to call for backup. I mean, those Jews looked at him and said, I'm not telling a man that tough what I want to do with my circumcision nightmare. You sure I'll tell him that. But Titus did not walk away from that Jerusalem council uncircumcised for a lack of trying on the part of those, those certain men from Judea. And you see that back in verse 4 of Galatians chapter 2. In verse 3, neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spite out, spy out, spy out our liberty 
which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, I got a question for you. How did Paul know those guys were false brethren? I mean, you can't tell by looking at a man if he's saved or not. At least I can't, can you? Well, here's the thing about Paul. We know he was an apostle, but he also wrote books of the Bible. And all the men who wrote books of the Bible were also prophets. That's why sometimes the Bible talks about the scriptures of the prophets. And as a prophet, prophets just knew things like that. They could know whether a guy was saved or unsaved. And I'll explain why. In your next reference, back in the Old Testament, when the king of Israel kept escaping the traps that the king of Syria was laying for Israel, the king of Syria suspected that he had a spy on his staff. And it says in 2 Kings uh, 6, 11 and 12, the king of Syria was sore troubled about the way that Israel kept escaping the traps he laid. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the rat? Who's the mole? Who's the traitor? And it says one of the servants answered and said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. Elisha the prophet that's in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Elisha was able to supernaturally listen in on all the battle plans that the king of Syria made and warned the king of Israel about them. And at the Jerusalem council, folks, Paul listened in on the conversations of those false brethren. And he knew they were up to no good. He knew they were saved that way, unsaved that way. Now you'll notice in Galatians 2 and verse 4 there, that it says that these false brethren were brought in unawares. And that word unawares with an, with an S at the end there means suddenly and unexpectedly, like it did when the Lord said in Luke 21 and verse 34, Take heed to yourselves, lest that day come upon you unawares. So here in our text, Paul was he's having a nice, polite meeting with the apostles, the elders, and the other leaders of the Jewish kingdom church there. And the last thing they expected were some false brethren to show up. But suddenly there they were. They came, as it says there, to spy out the liberty that Paul's converts had in Christ. 
And he meant the liberty they had from the law of Moses. The one Paul talked about in your next reference in Romans 7, 1 to 6, where he told the Romans, the law of Moses has dominion over a man as long as he liveth. But you are become dead to the law. We are delivered from the law. And that's the liberty. That's the liberty that those spies wanted to spy out. They wanted to learn more about our liberty from the law so they could figure out ways to prove it wasn't true and bring those Gentiles into what Paul calls the bondage of the law there in verse 4. And that was walking on the fighting side of Paul too. And he wasn't having any of it. Look what he says in the last verse of our text in Galatians 2 and verse 5. Speaking of those false brethren, verse 4, he says, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul, up to this point, he's been very gracious and very patient with the twelve apostles because they were his brethren in the Lord. But when it, when it came to these false brethren who were trying to, to subvert his converts, the gloves were off, folks. Paul refused to give place to them. So what does that mean? Well, in your next reference, remember when a man asked the Lord to, to raise his daughter from the dead? And when he got there, there were all these people milling about and making funeral preparations. And what did the Lord tell him in Matthew 9 and verse 24? Give place! The maid is not dead, but sleepeth. <clears throat> and they laughed him to scorn. When the Lord said, give place, that was his gracious of, gracious way of saying, get out of the way and let me take your place. But here, when these false brethren told Paul to get out of their way at the Jerusalem Council, he refused to yield the floor to them. He refused to let them take his place by subjection. You know what that word subjection means. The word subject means to place yourself under the authority of somebody else. Peter told servants in your next reference, in 1 Peter 2.18, be subject, put yourself in subjection to your masters. And in Ephesians 5.24, he says, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. And then finally, in that third reference of this trilogy, in Titus 3.1, he tells all of us, be subject to principalities and powers, the, the magistrates in our government. In each one of those cases, being subject means to obey somebody 
because you recognize they have a God-given authority over you. But here, Paul did not recognize that these false brethren had a legitimate God-given authority over him. I'm sure they claim they did. But Paul refused to give place by subjection, not even for as much as an hour. And the reason is because that might be the hour that, that some Gentiles were passing through Jerusalem and decided to, to sit in on the Jerusalem Council that day. The way I sat in on Congress when I was a boy. When I was a boy, my dad took us to Washington, D.C. As we sat in the galleries, Congress that day was debating gun control. What a surprise. <laughs> and if my congressman, if my congressman were to have given in to them on the Second Amendment for the hour that I was there that day, I might have walked away from Congress that day thinking that he recognized the authority of those who want to rob us of our liberty to keep and bear arms. And here, if Paul had given in to these false brethren for even an hour, then some Gentile passing through Jerusalem that day might have gone away thinking we're not free from the law. Oh, happy condition the way we sing at our church, if you know that song. It's the reason Pastor C.R. Stan that founded the Berean Bible Society never gave place to legalizers. It's the reason we at Berean Bible Society will never give in to those who want to put us under the law. It's the reason Pastor Mark Dilley will never give in to legalizers. I'm not mad at you. I just get into it, you know. Do you know what the penalty is for spying? We've been reading about guys who want to spy on everybody. The penalty for what these days is called espionage is death. It always has been. Do you remember the story in Genesis when, when Joseph's brethren went to Egypt to buy food and, and Joseph accused them of being spies? It says in your next reference, in Genesis 42, 9 through 20, Joseph said, you guys are spies. And they said, no, my Lord, we are true men. These servants are no spies. And Joseph said, bring your youngest brother to me, so shall your words be verified, and then ye shall not die. He was threatening to kill them for being spies. But to get to the point, if the penalty for political espionage is that severe, what do you think the penalty for spiritual espionage should be? I think believers who practice it are going to suffer tremendous loss at the judgment seat of Christ. And I also think that there's a warm place reserved in hell for unbelievers 
who practice it to try and bring believers under the law, rob them of their liberty. I know most people think that the, the hottest places in hell are occupied by Hitler and uh, mass murderers and such like that. But I can tell you this from studying the Bible for about 50 years. The hottest places in hell are not reserved for men who mess with our physical lives. They are reserved for men who mess with our spiritual lives. Because in God's eyes, it is far more serious to mess with men's souls. That's why we need to be like Paul and never compromise with false brethren. Never compromise with true brethren who try to put you under the law. Not even for an hour. You ever hear the story of the hunter who was aiming his gun at a bear? He was aiming his gun at the bear and the bear said, Wait a minute. Isn't it better to, to talk than shoot? Maybe we can negotiate a compromise here. The hunter replied, Well, I want a, a, a nice, warm bearskin coat. And the bear said, Well, I want a full stomach. <laughs> so they sat down and talked a while, and you know, eventually the bear walked away with a full stomach. <laughs> And the hunter walked away wrapped in a nice, warm, bearskin coat. <laughs> Compromise ended pretty well for the bear, didn't it? Not so much for the hunter. And when you compromise on the grace of God, it'll end well for all the legalizers who want to bring you into the bondage of the law when when you start attending their church and paying the tithes that they're going to insist that you pay as a person who's under the law, it'll end well for the legalizers. But it won't end well for you when you start feeling condemned by the law of Moses. So instead... What do you say we all do what it says there in Galatians 5, 1, and stand fast, therefore. When he gets to the epistle and lays all this out, uh, end of the epistle, lays it all out, and then says, therefore, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's what the book of Galatians is all about, folks. And if it was not critically, crucially important to your spiritual life, God would not have included the book of Galatians in the Bible. And if you are in a position to do so, I would encourage you to rally around Pastor Dilly as he stands without compromise for the Pauline truth of salvation. By grace, through faith, without the law of Moses. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's courage in the face of those false brethren and his graciousness.
as he warred with the brethren. Father, we claim to be grace believers. We claim to follow him as he followed Christ. We claim that he's our apostle. We claim he's our pattern in all things. Help us to remember those things as well. To recognize him as our leader in those things as well. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.